Pa wasn't uh, very compassionate with the lazy or those who um, squandered their means so they never had enough for necessities. But those who were really, truly in need, uh, he had a heart as big as all the outdoors. It was from him that I learned that the greatest joy in life comes from giving and not receiving. It was Christmas Eve, 1881, and I was 15 years old and feeling as though my world was caving in on me because there hadn't been enough money to buy me that rifle that I wanted for Christmas. We finished uh, chores early that day for some reason. I just figured Pa wanted a little extra time to read uh, in the Bible. And after supper, I took off my boots and stretched out in front of the fireplace and waited for Pa to get the Bible down. And uh, I, I was still feeling sorry for myself. And to be honest with you, I wasn't much in the mood for reading Scripture. But Pa didn't get the Bible down. Instead, he bundled up again and he went outside. And I couldn't understand why we'd already finished the chores, uh, but I didn't worry long about it. I was uh, too busy uh, wallowing in self-pity. Soon, Paul came back in, and uh, it was a clear, cold night out, and he had ice in his beard. He said, come on, Matt, uh, bundle up good. It's cold out there tonight. Uh, and now I was really upset. Not only was I not getting that rifle that I wanted, but Paul was dragging me out on a cold night like that for no earthly reason that I could see. The chores were done, and I couldn't imagine any job that needed to be done, especially on a night like that. But I knew Paul wasn't very patient with one when one drags his heels when one was told to do something. So I got up, I put on my boots, I got my cap, my coat, my mittens. And Ma smiled at me mysteriously as I walked to the door. Something was up, I just didn't know what outside I was even more upset there in front of the house the work team was already hitched up to the big sled whatever it was we were going to do was going to wasn't going to be a short quick little job we never used that sled unless there was a a big load to haul Paul was already up on the seat with the reins in his hands and I reluctantly climbed up after him and the cold already biting into me I was not happy when I got on the sled, he uh, pulled around the house and stopped in front of the woodshed. And uh, he got off, and I followed, and he said, I think we'll put the high sideboards on. Give me a hand here, Matt. The high sideboards. <laughs> it was already a bigger job that I wanted to do with the low sideboards on. It's going to be so much bigger now with the high sideboards on. And after we exchanged those sideboards, Paul went into the woodshed, and he came out with an armload of wood, wood that I had worked all summer hauling down from the mountain and all fall sawing into blocks and splitting. He put it on the wagon and I'm wondering what he was doing. And I said, Pa, what are you doing? He said, have you been out by the widow Jensen's lately? The Jensen's lived about two miles down the road from us and her husband had died a year or so before and left her with three young children. The oldest of us was eight. And I'd been out there, sure, but what about it? But what I said to him was, yeah, why? He said, I rode by there today. And little Jakey was out where the wood pile should have been, digging around for a few chips of wood. They're out of wood, Matt. And that's all he said. And he turned and went back into the woodshed. I followed, and we loaded that sled so full, I was beginning to wonder if the team would be able to pull it. 
And finally, Pa called a halt to all the loading. And we went into the smokehouse, and he took down a big ham and a side of bacon, and he told me to put them on the wagon and to wait. And when Paul returned, he had a sack of flour over his right shoulder and a smaller sack in his left hand. And I said to him, Paul, what's in the little sack? He said, shoes. Uh, shoes, Matt. Little Jake, he just had gunny sacks wrapped around his feet when he was out at the woodpile. We rode pretty much in silence that two miles to the Jensen's as I tried to think through what Paul was doing. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me. We didn't have much according to worldly standards. I mean, we had a big wood pile, but most of what was left now I would have to saw and split before we could use it. We did have plenty of flour and meat so we could spare them, but I knew we didn't have any money. So what was he doing buying shoes and candy? Really, what was he doing any of this? The Jensen had closer neighbors than we. We, we. we approached the Jensen's house from the blind side, and we unloaded the wood as quietly as, he, as we could. And then we took the ham and the flour and the shoes up to the house and knocked on the door. The door opened a crack, and a timid voice said, Who is it? Lucas Miles, ma'am, and my son Matt could we come in for a bit. She opened the door and we went in and she had a blanket draped over her shoulders and the three children were huddled under another blanket in front of a fire that was so little it hardly gave off any heat at all. And she stumbled with a, a match and finally got the lantern lit. Dad said, we brought you some things, ma'am, and he set the sack of flour down. I put the meat on the table and then he handed her the sack of shoes and she took it carefully and hesitantly opened it up and she pulled out the shoes one pair at a time and there was a pair for her and one for each of the children good shoes sturdy shoes shoes that would last now I watched her carefully and, and she bit her lower lip to keep it from trembling and tears welled up in her eyes and started to run down her cheeks and it looked like she wanted to say something but but nothing would come out we also brought a load of wood, ma'am, Pa said. Matt, go outside and get something that'll last for a while. Let's get this place heated up. I wasn't the same person when I walked out that door as when I walked in. There was a lump in my throat, and there were tears in my eyes, as much as I hate to admit it. I, I, I kept seeing in my mind those kids huddled under that blanket before that fire and the, and the look on the widow Jensen's face to the heart so full of gratitude that she couldn't even speak. And my heart swelled within me in a joy like I had never known before filled my soul. Soon I had the fire blazing and our spirits soared. And the kids giggled as Pa handed each one of them a stick of candy. And the widow Johnson, the Jensen was looking on with a smile on her face that probably hadn't crossed her face in a long time. And, and then she turned to us and she said, God bless you. I know the Lord sent you. The children and I were praying that he'd send one of his angels to save us. And that lump came back in my throat and tears came back to my eye. I had never thought of Paul quite in those terms before. But 
But now that she mentioned it, I said, see, it must be true. I, I, I'm sure a better man than Pa never lived. And I began to think of all the things he'd done for Mana, all the times he'd gone out of the way for us and other people, too. The, the list just seemed to be endless. And Pa insisted that, uh, that they try on their shoes, and I, I was amazed that they all fit, and I wondered how he knew this size. And then he, I figured, well, if the Lord had sent him on an errand, then he would make sure he got the right sizes. When we finally stood up to leave, uh, the tears started flowing down the widow Jensen's face again, and Pa picked up every one of those children in his big arms and gave them a, a hug, and, and they didn't want to let go. They didn't want us to leave. I knew they missed their Pa, and I was so glad I had mine. So at the door, I he stopped, and Pa turned back and said to the widow Jensen, the missus wants me to invite you and the children to Christmas dinner tomorrow. Uh, the turkey's going to be more than the three of us can eat, and a man gets to get cantankerous if he has to eat turkey for too many meals. <laughs> It'll be nice to have some young ones at the house. Matt here hasn't been young for a long time now. My two older brothers and sisters had already married and, and moved away. Out on that sled... There was a warmth that came up from inside of me. I couldn't even feel the cold. And after a little while, Pa turned to me and said, Matt, I have something I have to tell you. Your ma and I have been tucking away a little money all year long here and there to buy you that rifle. But we didn't have quite enough. And then yesterday, a man who owed me a little money from years back came by to make it square your ma and I were real excited that we could get you that rifle. And I was heading into town this morning to do just that. And that's when I saw Jakey in those gunning sacks on his feet out at the woodpile and I knew what I had to do. So we spent that money on those shoes and the candy. I hope you understand. And I did understand. I understood completely. That rifle was low on my priority list now. Uh, and tears came back to my eyes. And I remembered that look on the widow's face. And I remembered the smile on those children. Pod given me so much more. And for years after that, every time I would see the Jensen's, every time I'd saw a block of wood, I'd remember. I'd remember that look. I'd remember those smiles. And that memory would bring back some of that joy that I knew that night. Pod giving me so much more than a rifle on that Christmas. He gave me the best Christmas I ever had. Every year at Christmas, I've done this ever since I've been in the ministry. I take the Sunday before Christmas and I tell a story that I hope in some way helps us to appreciate a little bit better what's happening at this time of the year. And for those of you who have noticed and care about such things, I, I need to tell you why in the bulletin today uh, there's a question mark after the name of the story's author. And it's because I'm not sure who the author is uh, or if the story is truth or fiction. It really does have all of the marks of, uh, of a true story written by an amateur, but I'm really not sure. 
And I've tried uh, to track it down. I've gotten on the Internet. I've tried different things. I've never been able to discover it. I'm not much of a sleuth when it comes to the Internet. But I've tried, and if you ever find out, I'll know. The story was given to me I don't know, 20 years ago now, I, I guess it was. And, um, and, uh, and I've told it in different churches and at different times. And, and I need to tell you why I do it. Again, it, 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 this time of year is so special. And I tell these stories, first off, because my Lord told stories. And when I was in seminary, the president in the seminary, uh, Haddon Robinson, I uh, had some classes with him. And one time he made a comment, and it stuck with me, his old-fashioned way of saying it. He said, but Jesus was a corking good storyteller, and I believe he was. I can just imagine the people listening to him, and he said, they strain out uh, a gnat and swallow a camel, and they probably laughed. And, and he told those stories, but he didn't tell them just to entertain. I mean, they did entertain, but he told them so that they would understand better. They would truly understand the things that he was trying to tell them. And that's why I tell these stories. I, I hope it makes, uh, they, they make us appreciate this time of the year better. Uh, I, and I've read, I have to tell you, dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of stories, trying to find ones that are right for this. There are all kinds of stories out there. Uh, and, and there are good ones, better even than I can tell, but I could never edit them down to make them short enough. And so over the years that I've been here, I've told you true stories and fiction. I've told you stories of bunnies and blankets, uh, of, uh, of uh, dolls and blankets, and I've told you about the man and the birds and Gurface, the broken teddy bear, and now i told you about the rifle that never came. And, and I've noticed that in almost all of these stories, uh, they have something and things in common. They all have a giver. And, and the giver gives something, and the giver always gives something, the gift that costs them. It's never given out of abundance. It, it always seems to be more than can be given. And the one who receives the gift, they need it. They really do. And that's really the story of Christmas. God is the giver. And he gives us what we need and, and, and something that we could never get on our own. If we had all of the time in the world, if we had all of the resources in the world, we could never get it for ourselves. He gave us what we need for our sins, and it cost God more than we will ever know or understand. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that. Easy to not really understand it. And I'm not sure why that's so. I don't know if it's because the story is so familiar, or maybe because it's so big, or maybe it's because it's God and Jesus after all, and somehow it was easy for them, so it doesn't really count. But it did count. God gave up something for us. The death came between him and his son. And in all the long ages of eternity, they had never been separated. But when his son came on that Christmas morning so long ago, he came so that he would go to that cross and die and pay for our sins. And when he was on that cross, the father and the son were separated. Forgive me for putting it this way. But I think the soul of God was marked when that happened. The scripture says, I have engraved you 
on the palms of my hand. And in all eternity, Christ will have a human body. Just like some of you have been marked by the loss of a loved one, a parent, a child, someone else, so that you're not the same person you were. The giver is God. And the gift that he gave seems to be more than could be paid. There's really one other element in these stories, uh, all of them that I've told you and many others who besides, and that is it's the response of those who've received. You know, usually um, they're grateful, usually, but not always. And that's true to life too, you know, even with the gift that God offers. Some take Jesus and are grateful, and others ignore him or choose something else, but in any case, they reject him. But the story's been told. The most beautiful and powerful ever. The gift has been offered. And what we do with it is really up to us. And what we do with it matters for all eternity. So, in closing, would you listen as I tell you the Christmas story again? This time in just one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for that greatest gift ever given. Thank you that you gave it out of love, not out of necessity, for you needed nothing. But you met the great need we have, the greatest need that any of us have ever had. Those things that separate us from you and therefore separate us from all good things. Yes, you let us taste those good things now to draw us to yourself. But, Lord, a day is coming when we're either with you or not. And you gave the best. You showed your love. And we thank you and we praise you for him, for our Savior, for that child born in that stable on Christmas Day. In Jesus' name.